We're joyful to continue our sermon series through the letters of John. We've completely studied the first letter, and now we're in the second. Second and the third are much shorter, so we'll be moving our way through in this 43rd sermon of the series. Today, looking at verses 5 and 6, look at those with me, and we'll jump right in. Second John 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. John refers to the audience here, now I ask you, dear lady, brings a request um, we see in verse 1, just a few verses prior, we were focused last week, John is writing as an official elder, uh, overseer, pastor of the church, of God's church, and writing to a local beloved congregation of believers. In verse 1, his opening address, the elder to the elect lady and her children. There are some who would debate that this is potentially actually written to an, an individual sister in Christ and her actual children. Um, again, I, I align with those who believe that John is writing to a, a congregation of believers. Either way, they're saved ones, and the counsel is good uh, for them and remains good for us. Um, like I spoke last week, it is not uncommon for the New Testament writers to refer to the church in the feminine for we, together, male and female, who are redeemed, are the bride of Christ. It is also not common for the New Testament authors to refer to the body of believers, uh, we who are many, as one, to refer to us in the singular. Paul speaks to this very well in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free and were made to drink of one spirit. So whether male or female, young or old, black or white, we who have been redeemed by Christ blood and adopted by the Father are united into one family, one body, one congregation of blood-bought believers. Praise be to God for our unity, the unity he brings, the walls he breaks down, the walls of, of hostility, scripture speaks of it, that we have towards each other, of, of hatred, of criticism, of of unneeded fleshly critique. He breaks them down. He brings us into this most amazing unity in Christ to see people who outside of Christ would be mortal enemies, sit together in the pews, know each other, fellowship, break bread, grow, cry, and serve the Lord together is a beautiful, beautiful thing. John's affection for these that he's writing uh, is seen in a couple other details we have here in this opening verse, in, in verse 5, our focus today, for, before we get to 6. Notice that John makes a request, and he does not give a decree, as he very rightly can. He's speaking on the authority of the Lord to give a decree, to give a command. But no, he, he, he requests, right? His language is, is, I ask you, dear lady, right? And so... In that, there is a, a, just a pastoral touch, 
um, maybe a more loving posture, um, and just his affection for those that he's writing. Um, not to say that it's not loving to speak truth, to, to speak the decrees of God. We're going to talk more about that later. Um, but it's just another marker of, of what it means to be family. Also notice with me that John includes himself in this verse. He says, but the one we have had from the beginning. The Lord has surely blessed us, church, with each other. Um, I'm thankful for all the ways I see God at work in you and in us together. It is truly a, a, a sweet part of my life to be part of this church family. It's a sweet thing to see many over the years who have contemplated moving and their only reason to stay was this church family. Uh, to see how you have overcome uh, long journeys of trying to find a solid church family, to know and to be loved and to walk with and finally find that here. Praise the Lord. And it's happening in many others. Not to say that we're above the rest or different, but, but there is just a special bond we share in Christ, and I'm thankful for it. Now, are there bumps and are there bruises along the way? Absolutely. Just like any family, right? We have our moments. We have our struggles. We have our words. We have those things that our flesh stirs up. And it's like, do you know, you, did you look at me sideways? Or, hey, what do you mean by that? Or I was offended by this. Or just all these things, you know, and, and not like maybe decisions that are made or directions that, you know, this family's doing this different than my family. There's so many layers there. And that's present because we are still at war with our flesh. We're, we're not in glory. We're not removed from the flesh yet. So the flesh, according to Galatians 5, is at war with the Spirit. That is a reality that we're all in, and, and it needs to be a reminder that we have for our patience, our giving each other the benefit of the doubt, our pursuing each other in the unity the Lord has called us to. We are still to fight our flesh, to push back our pride and our emotions and our feelings, to to think biblically, to speak biblically in ways that honor the Lord. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul spoke to this in a way that I really cherish. He says that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. So, so that means when something's up between you and a brother or sister, that, that you don't make a couple efforts. You don't think about making an effort. No, you make every effort. As much as it depends on you, what do you need to do to get that relationship right? To seek forgiveness and peacemaking and understanding. You know, I, I'm constantly counseling uh, those in leadership and those of you that I'm walking out. Right? I mean, the, the unique role a shepherd, we shepherds play among the flock um, is not that different sometimes as parents among you know, the children of the family, there's, there's moments of like, hey, we're struggling. What's your counsel? Help us through this. And so that's the role that God's given us. And one of those reminders I try to on, constantly give you and practice it myself is as you go to sit down to have what might be a tough conversation, uh, to talk out something where maybe there's disagreement, where maybe there's hurt feelings, that you say up front, our priority, my priority is our unity in Christ. Not about being right. Not about winning not about making sure you know you're wrong 
or, or all the rest of that. It's not about that. It's about us getting to a place where we are united. That's what I'm here most to have and to fight for, is our unity in the Lord. How do we get to that? Let's do that. And if we're struggling to do it on our own, then we'll bring in another to help us do that. So we'd be humble, we could be helped, and we could get there, right? And so church, let us make every effort, not a couple efforts, every effort, that we would come humble, that we would be practicing unity together, that there's nothing that stands between us. So where do you need to forgive? Let's do that. Where do you need to talk it out? Let's do that. And work it out so that our unity is of the highest importance. It is our testimony. The world will laugh at us to see the power of our proclaimed unity with Christ and then to see division in the church. It's one of the biggest ways the world cries hypocrisy. And they should when Christians are not fighting for it as commanded to by our Lord. Let us do that. Let us do it well. In these days, the Lord gives us under the sun, right? Don't wait for tomorrow. Let's do it today. So Pastor Steve's reminder at the Lord's Supper was good for us as well. Look with me at the emphasis of the second part here of verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. So the commandment that he's speaking of is to love one another, But John says it's not new. It's one we've heard from the beginning. The commandment of God that we love one another is not new. Even though there will be false prophets and false teachers that will teach new things and try to twist and bend. No, God's command on us in this is fundamental. It's foundational. It's historic. It's grounded in him. So therefore then, what is the beginning that John is referencing here? That we've heard from the beginning And I would argue in this context, that phrase is used differently throughout Scripture. We need to look at context. It's reference to our new life in Christ, right? Because we can't and won't love one another outside of salvation. All I do is sin. I don't have faith. I don't know the love of God yet until I'm saved, until I'm spiritually made alive, until I'm reconciled to Him who is love. And so it is a knowing, a hearing, an understanding of it from the beginning of our faith, our faith journey. It is the way the gospel has gone to work in us. Paul spoke to this well in chapter 1 of Colossians 5-6. through Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before. In the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, and it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel is not just a truth we hear and affirm with our minds. No, it's it's something that we experience with all of our lives, and it transforms us. Paul speaks this way when saying in Galatians 2, he's confronting Peter in Galatians 2.14, he says that we are to walk in line with the gospel, that Peter was out of step with the gospel, that there is a, a gospel truth of the work of and the love of God and the grace of God through the person and the purity of Christ to, to die in our place for our sins and to fully atone for those sins and to rise again and and the transformation that that is to us, the, the way that now the love of God is made known to us in that, is transforming. 
We've heard it in the beginning. We've come to understand it. It's manifesting itself in our lives. And John is reorienting his hearers. Let us do that. And then he's saying, this isn't new. You've known this. Since your salvation, you've known this. The gospel is the complete and utter surrender of our unrighteous life in exchange for Jesus' righteous life. The gospel is what makes us right with God, justification. It's also what empowers us to delight in and serve God as we live our lives. That's sanctification. The gospel so changes everything about us that it restructures our motivations, church. Our self-understanding, it gives us a new identity in the Lord, our view of the world. The gospel changes our heart and allows us to truly be authentically transformed and then mobilized to a different way of living. We cannot, we need not ever move beyond the gospel. There can only be a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, Scripture says. It is not good news. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins, no hope, no transformation in Christ's likeness or to love in the love of God. Disciples Church, we must hold fast to the true gospel, that which has transformed us from the beginning of our faith, and let it go to work in us every step of the way. The love of God has been put on us in the most amazing way, and then, therefore, we turn to put it on each other, to love one another as the proper response to God's love at work in us. Consider another place that this is highlighted in John's first letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So he's saying, Christians, blood-bought family, this isn't new. You've understood this at your salvation. This command is clear. It's a part of our new covenant reality. Let us do this. Let us live this out. And so what does this ministry of love look like for one another? And, And therein lies a key aspect. This is special for the church. That's the one another part. Um, it's, it's special in this. The love of God is made manifest towards us who he saved in the most special way in Christ. It's special for those of us who have trusted Jesus and have experienced and will continue to experience God's love in our new life in Christ. It is a love that those who deny Christ are separated from, for they do not know the love of God. They cannot. They do not have faith. They, they, they are separated from him. And it is a love, church, that we who belong to him are to live out for one another. Now, I alluded to it a moment ago. I'll say it more clearly. This is a command to love one another. So this is different than the other commands we see in Scripture where we are to love our neighbor or to love our enemies. That can include those who are not of faith. And we are to have that witness and that testimony, but that's a different tier of application. Really, John is focused on the uniqueness of our love for one another, those who belong to Christ, those who are in the church, not just our local church, but the church global. 
What we must understand is that Jesus is the source and the pattern for what this love looks like. We must know the depth by which we've been loved to then mobilize and fuel and rightly send us forth to love others as we've been loved by God. Right? And so to go there, we could go no further than a simple place like Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, Paul does the most amazing job of walking through the substitutional atonement of Christ and specifically the uniqueness of our state prior to our salvation. God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And later in verse 10, if, if when we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This is good for us to, to know and to remember and never lose sight of, Christian, that God's love was appointed and poured out for us, his chosen ones, his elect, in his perfect time. But when our performance was more than lame, we were active enemies of his. How is that helpful then in fueling my love for you all and your love for each other, for our love for one another? It's helpful because there's going to be days where your brother or your sister is really lame. Right? When they're not performing well, when they're actually performing terribly, and maybe they're, they're really after you, and really it's, they're in bad shape. That all the more, church, in those days and moments, we would love them well in the love of God. Remembering, never forgetting his love for us, put on us in the state we were in, right? And if they belong to the Lord, then they will repent and they will go forth with us. And if they never belong to the Lord, then they will have proven to not be one of us, continue in their sin. John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? He goes on, greater love is none than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. Do we really love each other this way in the body of Christ? In other words, do we really love each other all the way? And I'm not talking about your favorite people in the room. I'm talking about your least favorite. I'm talking about the people you don't necessarily have to hang out with every day of the week, or you don't have to sit by them on Sunday, right? We don't necessarily have to always like everything about each other, but we need to genuinely love each other. So much so that we would love each other like Christ loved us. That I would die for my brother or sister in Christ. I'm ready to sacrifice it all. Right? We see this beautiful camaraderie in our armed forces. Right? Men and women trained to serve and and, and who who would give up their lives for a fellow soldier out of solidarity, out out of loyalty, out of training. But sometimes then in the church, we, we maybe start to feel different. Maybe we would start to second guess, would I go that far? But we too fight in a different kind of army, do we not? We fight a different kind of battle. And I would argue that what we've been empowered with the love of Jesus, shown, modeled, and then commended, 
would go to work in us as much so, so that when people think of the sacrificial love of laying down a life for another, they wouldn't first think of the armed forces. They would think of the body of Christ. It reveals we have some work to do. As we contemplate this, I want to remind us, this is a command of our Lord to love one another. Right? The way John presents it here in the second letter is, is a request and it has a gentle touch to it. And he's saying, hey, you guys, you know this with me since our salvation that we love one another. But, but that's not to take away from the fact that this is a command of God on us. We, we need to not forget this so that um, when at crossroads where we, you know, maybe we say, I, I love God uh, more than my stuff, my family, my, my job, but maybe when it comes down to it, maybe then I don't. Maybe we're not taking seriously enough the commands of God and what it means to really belong to Him. So we've got to slow down and we've got to remember what the love of the Lord really looks like. And then, therefore, what does it look like as it goes to work in my life for others, for each other? And so I want to read you the words of Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. A verse you know, you've heard it many, many times. And I just want to ask you to hear it fresh. And I want you not to think of your wedding day or where else you've heard this. I want you to think about brothers and sisters in Christ. One another. Love is patient. And kind. Love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. God's love, true love, is selfless and it's sacrificial. And as I've taught many times, we can love selflessly because we belong to Christ. I can love you despite your performance towards me because of what I have in him. That's how the selfless love of God works. I don't need you to perform to love you. The love of the world, the counterfeit love that those outside of Christ only know, is only based on performance. It's selfish. I love you as long as I get X, Y, and Z. And when that stops, then I just really don't love you anymore. I'm ready for something different. Church, we have to love one another with the selfless, sacrificial love of the Lord. The definition of sacrifice is that it costs you something. You give up something. 
Sacrificial love means we love when it's not going your way. We love because Christ loved us, not because of others' performance. And so I just ask you, what are you giving up to love each other well? That's the measure of our sacrifice. Not that they owe you, but that it's your joy in Christ to be sacrificial towards them in love. Again, think of those who maybe are harder to love. Maybe those who you don't like as much. They rub you wrong. They do their lives different than you. Your love for them is, needs to be just as much because it's not fueled by them. It's fueled by him. Your heart in Christ, moved by Christ, I get to sacrifice what I love, I mean, sorry, what I want to love this brother or sister in Christ. I get to love like Christ loves. That's the gospel at work in us, Christians. And so I ask you, take a moment. Let's really do business with this, each one. A situation you've been in maybe lately, or maybe in your lifetime. That has been hard. Hard to show love to that person, that family. How is the sacrificial and selfless love of Christ at work in and through you in that situation? For peace and endurance. All the things I just read. If you are stuck in thinking, I, I really don't want to love them sacrificially. I want what I want and I'm burdened by this command. Then see it not as gospel in you, but as you taking hold of some kind of religion or duty. And, and if that's you, if you're really genuinely struggling there, you don't need to pull up your bootstraps and just try harder. You need more of Christ to capture your heart and propel you in his power, in his love, not your own. The sacrificial love of God is at work in Christ. And for all those who belong to Christ, it needs to be at work in us, church. Not because of our performance for each other, but because of Christ in us. Robert Yarbrough is an author, theologian, who once wrote, Love has its existence and dynamic, not first of all in human ethical expression, but in the living Christ. Christ in you is why you will love others before yourself. That's the why. Christ in you is the how you will love others before yourself. Christ is the active agent in our lives, in the lives of the redeemed, 
to bring his attribute, God's attribute of love to bear on each other. It, 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 we play simple, fleshly, petty games when we truncate it down and compartmentalize. Well, maybe I don't like this church or these people anymore because they're not really like us or me. And, you know, it's in the like most temporal, temporal way. Sharon's raising her hand. She's trying to help me. Thank you, sister. Let her do that. I don't need 18 of you doing it. (laughs) That we really love each other. That, That we cut through the shallowness of just the differences and the nuances and and who we are. Christ is the common thread that binds, that breaks us through the way the flesh wants to get caught up in the other stuff. Ian Hamilton once said it well about Christ's love at work in us Christians. Christians are to be a walking advertisement for the gospel, showing in our love for one another the transforming power of the Spirit of Christ in our lives. Love for Christ and the people of Christ is the distinguishing mark of the new age inaugurated by Christ. We have to take this seriously. Or our testimony is a joke. You can know a lot of songs. You can know a lot of scripture. You can be really committed. You can give a lot. And not take seriously the command on us to love one another. And our testimony falls off the cliff. And the world knows it. They see it. This, this is where the right claims of hypocrisy come from the world. got to go to work in us church and it's why John is reiterating this and why he's hammering it home throughout the letters our love for one another is a really important part of these days we're living I want to remind you one more thing in considering our practice of our love for one another our ministry of love for one another that you would keep in mind that Christian love, the love at work in us, in this time of sanctification, where we're not in glory, we're not done with our fight against the flesh, that it is therefore a growing thing. Second Thessalonians 1.3, Paul does us a huge favor. He helps us. He commends Christians like this. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because of your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's growing. It's maturing. That means it's not perfect today. It's got work to do. Christ at work in me. And so you can truly be a Christian and truly struggle 
in this and still be a Christian. But you will mature, you will repent, you will grow. And yeah, you may have some genuine affection for a fellow brother or sister in Christ, but also have some genuine struggle or wrestling with some negative thoughts or feelings. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means you're at war with your flesh, and Christ is at work in you. Amen? So I would just say in that, keep on, weary soldier of Jesus. Know that God will refine you as you abide in Him, press into Him and His Word and His people, that you would grow. Put to work His power at work in you to forgive, to not hold grudges, to seek out others for help or to seek reconciliation so that this testimony, this major part of the church's testimony would be bright in these days the Lord gives us. Paul prays in 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Look with me at verse 6, 2 John 6. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you would walk in it. He drove this point home in the first letter, chapter 5, 2-3. through three. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. How do you know you're loving each other? You love God and you obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. See, on this particular topic, maybe more than any other one we face, our modern day and the Antichrist and the false teachers and the manipulators and the liars and the deceivers, they're tweaking love like nothing else. And the problem is there's so many in the church and so many misled even teachers in the church who are buying into it, buying into a world's version of love where we ditch truth, where we ditch obedience to the Lord. Christian, just see with me today, that can't be. Just simply because of the couple passages I just read you. We have to be diligent in obeying the commands of the Lord. There's not this thing where we say we're just loving someone and we're getting rid of truth. That's not love. That's a lie. That's not caring for them. It has to be in truth. Truth and love have to go together. And it's only our flesh that wants to make nice with it and and bend it and do it different. And it really is simple and yet often ignored. It is not a difficult thing to grasp. And yet, there's people in John's day who were being tempted by false teachers. And surely there are still today. And so that's why we have it in this teaching and why we need it ongoingly. If you are born again and love God, the evidence of that will be obedience to His authority in your life. Maybe at, on the front that sounds really simple. And it should be. Before I dig into it, let me just point out, it's this way with anything else in life, or it's hypocrisy. To say that you love your spouse but then to live in a constant state of selfishness and disregard for God's design for your role in the marriage to be lived out, not what you think it should be, what he says it should be, is not to love your spouse. You don't get to re-cook the whole thing, call it something different, and say it's good. You could say you're committed to getting healthy, 
but then continue to eat unhealthy food and extra large portions of food, therefore, you're not really committed to getting healthy. You can't just say it and then do something different and call, hey, but it's still good. No, it's hypocrisy. It's not true. If love is not backed up with the way we live, then it's, then it's just not, it's not real. If you've died to yourself, you now joyfully belong to Christ. That's Christianity. If you then reject Christ's authority, his command on you, then do you really belong to Christ? It, modern day Christianity has tweaked this too, where we've really made salvation only about a Savior, but not about a Lord. And I've told you often, and it's important that we continue to remember, Jesus died to save his people from hell. He did not die to save us from the cross. He commands his followers to take up their cross and follow him in real suffering. The very act of salvation is not just being saved. It's, it, it is an act of dying to self to then live to Christ. I'm no longer the Lord of my life. He is. That's biblical Christianity. So when, when someone says, I've said the prayer, I have Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I live my life the way I want to, I disregard his revelation and command, that's not a saved person. That's someone who has claimed the parts of Jesus they think they like. They're still the Lord of their own lives. There's no evidence of transformation. There's no love for God because there's no obedience to his word. First John 3, 24, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us in the spirit whom he has given us. Obedience to his commands, church, is so critical. One of the most special places in the Old Testament, when God's talking about new birth, it is so clear. Listen, Ezekiel 36, 25-27, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. A person who claims Jesus is Savior, who is not obeying God, you need to be very cautious of. If that person is you, you need to do some serious business today. God regenerates the heart of the redeemed to change our longings, to change our allegiance, not to self, not to sin, but to Him and to holiness. I want His rule in my life. For the true Christian, this is one of the sweetest parts of our new identity. I'm a slave to Jesus. Paul references himself as a slave in the opening of his letters more than anything. To the unbeliever, that just sounds crazy, but the unbeliever doesn't understand. They too are slaves, slaves to sin, slaves to death. And when you finally are given illumination spiritually to see, I don't want to be a slave to sin and death, it is your greatest joy in the world to be a slave to Jesus and life and the lordship of Jesus. That's why they celebrate it. 
That's why we celebrate it. I want the Lord to rule my life. His commands, His ways are beautiful, are good. They're not a burden. Even if following them means my life will be very difficult. Okay, I have God. Let's go. God's laws, His commands are so good for us that by faith we follow them, we trust Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you really love Him? Because if you do, You'll obey him. Even when that's really hard. Even when that might mean that in truth there's confrontation with a beloved family member and that relationship might fall apart. Or there's accountability with someone. Or there's there's honest repentance by yourself that equals some real consequences that you'll go through in your life. You cannot... Love Jesus and disregard the fact that He is God. To know that He is God means you will submit to Him. To say you love God means you will love to be ruled by Him. We obey because we're redeemed, given new life in Christ, a new heart for God, longing for God. And it won't be a burden to us. The true Christian rejoices that I'm done doing it my way. My way was so failed. (laughs) Praise the Lord. His way is so good. Christian, don't make it about you. Don't make it about what you want or what you don't have. Don't make it about what you have and don't want. You want Him to rule over you. Your life belongs to Him. His commands, therefore, are not a burden to you. And so I just ask you, Christian, how seriously have you taken the commands of God? Are you guilty of knowing what God says you are to do, but you still rationalize doing what He forbids or not doing what He commands? Not only is that detrimental to your own life, but it is majorly detrimental to our testimony. The saved will obey the Lord. And therefore, we will love one another. I love, I love how that goes to work. Um, It should be very regularly at work in us. The world keeps that phrase close. But in the body of Christ, we say it to each other regularly. I love you. 
Because I do. Because we're together in Christ. You have those moments, those interactions with Christians you kind of hardly know and they tell you that and you kind of find yourself like peering over your shoulder like, you just said that to me? (laughs) And yet it's a sweet part of what it should be. Not the way we used to evaluate. Not because of how you earned that from me. But because of Christ who loved me. Amen. And so he says, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you've heard from the beginning. So you should walk in it. This emphasis of walking out the commandments of the Lord. And this specific commandment to love one another. That means it's not just a good idea. It's something we really do. It is who we are in Christ. And that is so key. Pay attention to those words, in Christ. You will not fulfill the commands of God outside of Christ. You will not love one another genuinely outside of Christ. We cannot fulfill the law on our own. We need the will of the Lord, the power of the Lord, to make the commands of God become good and sweet to our soul. So when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, we got to be careful not to turn that verse into a, a coffee cup saying that we just really feel all good about. And when he says, my yoke, that's still a big block of heavy wood that you are bearing. It's still a work to do. There's still a journey to have. There's still a burden you're carrying. But when yoked to Christ instead of to anything else, it is easy and light. So we don't turn it into, Lord, just take it all away. No, 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 no. That comes in glory. No, we rest in Him. He is the key. When Paul says to to the Romans in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we're yoked to Christ, we're renewed in our mind by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, the commands of God, and they're good, they're acceptable, they're perfect. Church, I pray that we see God's ways, His commands are good. They're not only good, they're best. They're not only best, they're Perfect. When we're tempted to go, yeah, but I've got this perspective, I've got this thing, I've got this, I wish it would go, that we fight that. That's the flesh, that's the lie, that's the deception. That's the wrong road. King David got this, In Psalm 19, 7 through 11, I love these words. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And you've seen it, church. I'm hearing testimonies coming out of your homes, out of a new generation of kids and siblings and even spouses who are growing in God's truths, and it's producing a fruit. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Just 
just this week, I mean, I really wondered how are my, my, my second generation of children. I have my three by birth. They're 17, 15, and 14. And we have three by adoption that are seven, four, and two, right? I'm going to be a parent along until I'm old. We <laughs> Pray for me. Jennifer and I talked about... Jennifer and I talked about that this week, right? There's a lot of tears. We were sitting up on my dad's uh, deck Friday night, just the two of us under the stars, and talking about needing to have our diligence to have a good trust written and plans and what if the Lord, right? And, and how does that look? And what does that look like? And in tears, we just rejoiced that we have this awesome church family that our, our kids will be fine. They'll be good, right? Praise God. For us, for, for this, for what he's done in us. But this week, my seven-year-old, again, I'm going like, how does she process grandpa's dead? Like, that's hard at that age. That's young. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. She says, Dad, he's forgiven for his sins because of Jesus. He's in heaven. My seven-year-old gets it. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, keeping them is there is great reward. If you're ever feeling tempted, be like, the word of God is clear. I really want to go this way instead. Just come read this passage again. <laughs> May the Spirit bring you to a place of joyful obedience to the Lord. God's commands are good. And we're yoked to Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and led by the revelation of His Word. They won't be a burden to us, church. They'll be good, and we will obey them, and we will walk by faith, even if it's really hard. They'll be a true blessing and a help. And I just pray you see them this way. That when you're at that crossroad and you're considering appeasing the flesh or the rationale of your own mind or the easier path of less circumstance, you will honor the Lord. When temptation is knocking on the door and it's tempting, you will turn, you will flee, you will trust in the Lord. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Christian, no matter where you're at in this journey, the Lord has blessed you with yoking you to Him, with giving you the Spirit, and entrusting with you the Word of God. Abide in these things. And mature and grow and don't be done growing. That we would love one another and that part of our testimony would be a sweet and potent part of our days here on earth. It's a growing thing, like I said earlier. Don't be done. And can I just say to you who are a little older, 
don't think you're beyond the, the needed changes and, and confession and repentance and sanctification. One of the other sweet conversations I had this week was with my dad's pastor from the community. He lives in up in the mountains, Albury. And he shared that God ordained that he would walk with my dad in a uniquely kind of tough season. Rich season in one hand, the Lord really did a sweet work in my dad. He, he confessed to me, he said, I think the Lord took your mom home early because he wanted more of my attention. And he did. My dad really grew in a lot of ways in his faith and his theology and walking with us in this last season. It was really sweet. But he also had some really tough stuff. And if you know my dad, there's tough stuff. My dad can be super difficult. And he said, Josh, he said, 73-year-old, like most guys in their 70s, 80s, 90s, they don't, they don't change. They don't show humility to go a different course, to be willing to admit they got it wrong and they want to honor the Lord. He said, I watched your dad do that on a number of occasions in a way that was really sweet. And I'm thinking of my very difficult, driven father. And I just wept and just said, praise God. That's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Lord. My brother Matt said in one of his midweek lessons, when the saved person obeys God, it's because God, by his will, in his sovereignty, causes this person to genuinely will to obey and glorify him. In these instances, God makes our heart's desire to do what he has commanded in Scripture. Clearly seen in Philippians 2.13, Paul says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I just pray God's doing that work in each of us. To genuinely give us that desire to honor him, despite what it will cost. To look to the Savior, trust in him, and walk according to his commandments. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. May our confidence be in the work of God to redeem and give us a love for him, his people, and a true desire to obey his commands, his good commands, and in doing so, loving one another, church. We only do this by his grace and for his glory. Amen? Pray with me. Lord in heaven, you are the ruler of all things, creator, sustainer, ruler of everything, perfect, the standard by which all things are measured. All of this exists for you, and it's only in our pride and our sin, our selfishness, we make it about anything else. And I just pray that the spirits at work today, as we've looked to your word, faithfully and to, to, to get out of the way as best we can, both in my preparation and preaching and hopefully in the hearing, that 
we're not clouding it with what we want. We're not fighting you in that. That, that we're resting in you. We're, we're joyful to be yoked to you. We're trusting you, and we're living it out. So where we need to go to work and our love for one another, do that work in us. That we'd make every effort. That we'd be sacrificial in it, and that it would be a bright light to a watching world in the ways that you will still be saving many to faith, to be part of this family now and forever. For those that don't know you, I pray that it be your will that you would open dead hearts and give them a radical saving faith in a way that only would be praise to you, not to anyone else, not to anything else, but praise to you. And so even together as we contemplate the gospel today in this closing song, the mystery that's been revealed, that we would behold it. And when we behold something, we really look intently, closely, movingly at it, and that, it, that the gospel would go to work in us in a new and fresh way today. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.